You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, hello. Uh, it's good, good to uh, good to be back with you again today. And thankfully, we are we are not living in the rain that is uh, the rain town that is Perth. Seriously, uh, I tweeted about this. This, this. this is unbelievable. When we spoke about uh, teams getting up to the hub uh, from Victoria, whether it's Queensland or Western Australia, we were like, "Geez, we're pretty jealous about this yeah. weather-wise." They're going to be able to get some sun. They're going to be able to hang out now. People from Perth will tell me, and they did tell me that it was sunny all day yesterday. But is there any danger of us getting more than one game in a row where it's not pouring down rain, whether it's Queensland or Western Australia, wet weather footy? is, is We're seeing almost every single game is in driving rain, uh, perhaps none more so than last night. That was unbelievable. I don't think, I don't think I've had as seen as many games impacted by rain ever <laughs> than I have this season. I know Melbourne is cold because it is, it doesn't rain yeah. that much down here compared to what we're seeing in Perth and in Queensland at the moment where it is almost raining every single night, it, it appears. We just don't get that much rain here. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, you know, when I take a look at the people that were in the crowd last night, even though it was pouring rain, there were still people sitting around in T-shirts. So I, I guess I'm still technically a little bit jealous, but come on, we want to see some perfect weather footy because it's a time of year where things are the things are going to start to dry out a little bit or they will in victoria even though we're not playing here so let's see some high quality footy because the games where the sun has been out have been pretty damn good to watch and i i don't know whether there's too much we're going to take away from this frio geelong game last night other than maybe a couple of injuries for frio are, are meaningful for those guys I know what I'll take away from it is that people, you look at it and look at the score and it's like, oh, we need to change the rules. Look at all this flooding, 16 aside. Like, it was pissing rain. Like, I don't care that Fremantle kicked, you know, whatever they kicked, 16 points. Okay, that's it's not great. It was pissing down with rain. And low scores in rain like that have happened forever. I was at a game at the Western Oval, as it was named back then, when Carlton kicked one goal for the game in the last 20 seconds. They ended up with like 17 points in the game. And that was, you know, back in the high-flying 90s. This stuff happens. Yes, it's not, it's not, oh, we need to change the rules. We need 16 aside now because Fremantle kicked one goal. Uh, that, that wasn't why they kicked one goal. It was because the rain was unbelievably strong and heavy. And again, one day before, we saw West Coast drop 111 on Collingwood's head. So I thought still... You know, it, it, and someone brought up a point, I think, on the commentary that maybe because the grounds are in such good condition, there's no mud that actually slows the ball down. And it's true. The ball just skids everywhere. It slides through. And there's no grip. I remember you when I used to play in the mud. Like, you, the mud was fine because you'd get a little bit a little bit of extra grip. It wouldn't slide all over the place. You wouldn't slide as much through that absolute wet grass. So maybe there's a little bit of something to that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this game, and I don't blame Justin Longmuir for doing this, but the Cats were dominant across pretty much every single stat for the entire night. If you want to break it down, being plus 20 in inside 50s, plus 30 in contested possessions, plus nine in clearances, they were cleaner and they were better with their skills. So Justin Longmuir said, okay, well, we're going to keep ourselves in the game. How do we do that? We put 18 blokes in the catch forward 50 and then we can basically mean 
that the only way you're going to get a goal is through a little bit of luck. And the Cats eventually just through weighted numbers got that. Duncan socked one off the ground. Hawkins got on the end of one. And that was what broke the game open. But from their point of view, you still went into three-quarter time saying, okay, well, I mean, we're, we're a chance here. The problem with the flooding tactic last night was that every single time Fremantle got the ball, a clean possession on the half-back line, uh, it was they, they weren't able to do anything with it because then you had a flood of 30 players running past you getting back. So there wasn't the, the option to go into the center because you weren't going to risk that in those conditions. And then you just ended up kicking to a, to a pack again and the Caps were dominant in that situation all night long. So I would like to say that Longmuir should have done something different, but I, I'm not really sure what that would have been. And I, I'm certain that every single other team in that situation when they were under the pump like they were and getting beaten really all over the ground would do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, it, it was typical wet weather footy. And again, this wasn't just a couple of showers where it, it drizzled a little bit and then it dried out. I mean, it, it did not stop uh, for the entire game. It was unbelievable. And Longmuir did say, like they talked to him at halftime, he said, well, well, I need to get these guys to be having a bit more structure up forward. And you saw that change in the second half. So whether it was him saying, hey, we need to push back more, and they just took it upon themselves and literally every person pushed back. And he said, no, 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 this is not actually what we want. We want a little bit of structure to keep some guys forward to the ball so when we do get it out, we've got options. And that changed in the second half, and they looked a little bit more dangerous. Yes, they they kicked two goals, but that was two goals in the second half versus none in the first half. And, and Geelong... Went had 11 scoring shots in the first half, just seven in the second half. So that change in that structure, so they weren't just bombing it out to a wall of cats all by themselves, it did help. So while we can say, yeah, they any coach would do that and push those guys behind the ball, I think that he wanted a little bit of that, but the, the players may not have interpreted the instruction correctly because when they sort of got it right, the game became, that second half was way more entertaining than the first half, I thought. So Fremantle lost Darcy Tucker early in this game. We've spoken about him over the last couple of weeks. He's one of their impressive young players. So it was a huge blow for them. And they, and they don't really... I mean, both teams comparatively had a pretty serious uh, injury list or unavailable list, but Fremantle's uh, probably don't have the depth that they did. I think he still looked across the ground at this Geelong team and said, geez, for how many players they got out, this is a pretty experienced uh, and, and talented team. But Andrew Brayshaw, I thought, was fantastic. He had 28 possessions. He was in everything. We know he's a contested ball winner, but he continues to have a pretty strong season. And Caleb Sarong as well, 22 possessions, 11 kicks, 11 handballs, uh, seven tackles. Those those two guys in particular stood out for me on a night that it, it did feel like Fremantle were pretty heavily overmatched. And Darcy Tucker, yeah, that is a big loss because he's been really good. He's one of their big pressure act guys in that forward 50, inside 50 type player score involvement guy. Like he's right up there, uh, you know, having played fewer games, he's still yeah, right up there in third uh, on the Dockers in terms of pressure acts behind just Brayshaw and Chera who are playing in that midfield role. So they get more opportunities for that. So he's been really, really strong in that. And losing him, well, he didn't even get a touch of the ball. Like So he basically didn't play at all. And when you're in a situation where the game is as fumbly because of the conditions that pressure is going to be really important and getting to those contests, I think it's a, it's a big loss. It's not the reason they it's not the reason they lost, of course. But it's uh, when you are a younger team who's not as good and you're already missing that five to lose one of your. I don't know. Let's say let's just throw top seven players on the park at this point in Tucker. Maybe it's um, maybe maybe it's better than that. But that that's it's hard to overcome. No doubt. So this brings up a really interesting proposition now for the Cats. And, and I we, we kind of disagreed on this a little bit earlier in the week. But the resting strategy is going to be really interesting for me for the Cats. Chris Scott, after the game, said that they're going to go in and they're going to try and win this game against West Coast. Of course. What else is he going to say? Mitch Duncan spoke to 
uh, Fox Footy after the game, and he said, no, I want to play all four of these games in the 14 days. Uh, he just came back from a hamstring. He was unbelievable last night, by the way. He we was. talked about a return, and he was a guy that you get a little bit nervous about coming back from a hamstring playing in those conditions, but he seems to have got through okay. They play West Coast on Saturday night, so the four days. They're playing footy again against you know, maybe now all of a sudden the form team in the league. They just uh, tore Collingwood apart on Sunday. Then, after Saturday, they play North Melbourne four days later on Wednesday night. So for me... This is the the textbook game where you say, even if we can play every player available, and remember, the Cats do have a lot out. They don't have a Ruckman, so they're going up against a Nick Nanui literally without a a number one Ruckman. Are you going to win this game? Uh, Like I said yesterday, I don't think anyone's tipping the Cats to win this game. Now, you don't want to get completely obliterated and lose the percentage. The Cats currently have the second percentage in the league, second best percentage in the league. But this is the type of game, I think, where maybe you sit back and say, okay, well... Let's not risk anyone. We need to make sure we win this game against North Melbourne on Wednesday night. I, I don't know. I just think it's worth uh, worth exploring. Yeah, you would think the chances of them winning this one against West Coast are, are pretty low. But so who do you rest? Yeah, is it just Dangerfield and Hawkins and Taylor, the three you know thirty plus year old brigade? Is it, is it those guys that that you look at? Do you sit Duncan out after coming back from the Hammy? Um, you know, who, who who would you, if you were in charge? If you were Chris Scott with uh, with a less glorious beard. Who would you uh, who would you be sitting out? Yeah, Duncan's the one that stands out for me. I mean, you have to see how he pulls up, and I, I don't know that from the outside. But playing in a game that was such a slog like that, you probably need to, to weigh up whether it's worth him playing in this game. And then is he going to be able to front up four days later? Tom Hawkins, interestingly, maybe uh, will have a week off regardless. He he threw a little elbow in the fourth quarter. I didn't see it during the game. I watched the replay this morning. Uh, he's got a history of making some unfortunate decisions. <laughs> yes, he does. If he gets a week, if he gets a week this week, uh, I'm not going to be all that upset about it. But I, you know, we don't want a situation similar to last year's prelim where he's missing an important game. So maybe yeah, Hawkins is one that misses out as well. And yeah, Dangerfield, you're never going to get a better time to rest him. I mean, you probably hit the nail on the head. Those are probably the three guys I'm looking at. I, I just think you have to play the long game, and and that North Melbourne game is one that the Cats cannot afford to miss. They, Nick Rewell continually says that's the game they should rest players. No, no, no. You need to make sure you bag those four points where you can, and that's a game that the Cats should absolutely be winning. You bring a good point up about percentage because they are sitting third, but St. Kilda, West Coast, Bulldogs, and Essendon all sitting on the same amount of points. So you And you can easily lose 15 16% in a game here, and that could drop you from third down to eighth pretty quickly if you, get, if you do get spanked by the Eagles, which, depending on you know, who you sit out, if you take out your full forward, your full back, and your best midfielder, there's a real chance that maybe that, uh, that and your best two midfielders, including Mitch Duncan and Paddy Dangerfield, if you take those guys out, like there's a chance you could get beaten by 60 or 70 against a West Coast team, and, and that could drop you down from 123 to 102 or 103 or something along those lines. And then that becomes a little bit harder to, to regain uh, as the season goes on. So there are some decisions that Geelong need to make. Collingwood, one of their decisions has been taken out of their hands, Kane, because Scott Pendlebury is out for the next four weeks with that uh, with that quad injury. Yeah, definitely a huge blow for Collingwood. I spoke yesterday uh, on the podcast about how difficult they found it in the midfield, admittedly against an elite team and against Nick Nat that was on absolute fire. But without that other ball winner to go with Taylor Adams, go with Adam Trelaw, they looked like they were one light. Now, they're going to get Steel side bottom back, so that's big for Collingwood uh, after he's had his four-week uh, hiatus for uh, the... Well, stupid mistake that he made. Yeah, exactly. But the one thing I will say for Collingwood, 
there was, and I, I think this is why we both sort of didn't really highlight the fact that they're playing four games in 13 days is uh, they got a really soft draw. <laughs> I mean, if you were going to have to play four games in 13 days and you looked up and you saw that the teams were Fremantle, Sydney, Adelaide and Melbourne, uh, you're feeling pretty damn good about it. And yes, there's a little bit of travel in there, but let's be honest, for the coming rid of a team we expect to be in the top four, uh, I think that they're going to be able to manage the loss of, of Penderbury and still be able to beat these teams. They, they, they've got an easy run. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and you know, having no Pendlebury is not great, but yeah, the replacement of side bottom does ease does ease that uh, that loss somewhat. And then you've got the you know, Trelaw and Adams who are playing well. You've got guys like Quayno who's really stepping up at the moment as well for Collingwood off half back. So I think that we give given that draw as well. Uh, I think they're going to be okay. You can never replace Pendlebury, but a side bottom goes a, a fair way to getting to getting there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, again, we don't know with Fremantle this week whether Fife's going to play, but it kind of last like similar to last night with Selwood Fife. You lose a, a one of your key midfielders. It sort of balances things out. We know Fremantle are, are undermanned as it is. Then Sydney, uh, we know no Josh Kennedy, Heaney. These guys are experienced midfielders out of the team, and, and Adelaide. Uh, we know the struggles they've had. So uh, yeah, I mean, Collingwood to me are still in a pretty good place. One thing I wanted to just ask you in general, we've seen a little bit of this over the last few weeks come back. I think the purpose of the below-the-knees free kick has been completely lost. I thought that they used to actually do a pretty good job of this going back a couple of seasons ago, but now it does appear to be a little bit of a raffle. If we remember why this free kick actually came into the game, it was to stop guys from having catastrophic ankle catastrophic knee injuries in in, in guys sliding yeah, you know, almost knee first, leg first. We know that um, going back, Adam Goods was a guy that had issues with that. That was something that he did that was really damn dangerous. As a footy player, he'd slide in with his knees. Uh, he's just one player to, to point out that, that does that. Uh, now, it, it seems to be confusing to me whether they're trying to reward guys for just standing up and not going down to pick up the footy. I, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the ruling on this one's been lost a little bit. Yeah, I don't like the rule at all because, again, it does it does really limit... Like, yes, if you're sliding in legs first, which is what the problem was. We had the Gary Rowan injury that happened, mm. I think, against North Melbourne it was, and then some of the goods incidents. Um, that, that's a problem, right, if, you, if you're just doing that, and especially if you're doing it when the player who is standing has you know, has the ball already or is there first. Like that, That's a problem. But if you're the guy going in there first and getting the ball and you're sliding side first, hip first, shoulder first, whatever, and then you slide through and then someone you hit into someone because they haven't gone down for the ball. I, I just don't think that's what we want to reward. Both these guys have the opportunity to be getting down there and, and grabbing the ball. And you see some ridiculous ones where a player's grabbed it and then you know, somehow knocks into someone's legs, not through any you know, aggressive intent or dangerous intent, and the other player falls on top of them, but they get the free kick. I, I just think it's contrary to the way that we, we look at this game. I, I, and again, it's a situation where how many catastrophic injuries have we actually had from this scenario? It was an overreaction, I feel, to to probably the Rowan injury and then a couple of incidents that didn't look great with goods but didn't necessarily um, re- result in huge injuries. But once again, there was a, a big overreaction with that rule and it changes the mentality of players that when the ball's there, you go in and get it. And it's a little bit of like, well, if two people are going, if I stand up and get hit in the legs, I get the ball uh, as a free kick. Well, sliding in knees or legs first, like that, it's that's not, a, yes. it's not hard. To, yeah, it's it's not hard to distinguish this. Just make it uh, uh, ban sliding in knees or legs first, and let's call it a day. It seems like a pretty simple solution to me. 
What do you reckon we get to this or that? Sounds like a good idea to me, Kane. The Coleman medal. Um, I feel like the Coleman medal has lost significance over the years. I don't know why I feel that. It's just like I couldn't even tell you the last five Coleman medal winners. I'm sure the the players, maybe because the Bulldogs never have Coleman medal winners <laughs> ever, but I, I couldn't even tell you who's won it over these years because it just feels like it loses significance and it might even be the same this year. But the question we have is, do you think it'll be a big man or will it be a small man that wins the Coleman in 2020? It'll end up being a big for me. I mean, I know there's been a lot oh, of You love the big forwards? Well, it, it just will be. I mean, when I look at the Coleman medal tally now, it's it's easier for big fellas to kick a goal, even in, in modern footy. You know? and, and I will say, if it continues to rain like it did last night, it might, might make things a little difficult, although uh, Hawkins was able to pick up three in the end. But uh, I look at Josh Kennedy and Charlie Dixon, and they're looming now. So Tom Papley leads the Coleman as it currently stands on 19 goals. Josh Kennedy has 18 Charlie Dixon, 16. And then you've got Charlie Cameron and Daniel Butler on 15 and Hawkins on 14. So, look, it's a, a mix now all of a sudden. It was all little guys a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, the tall forwards are starting to make their move. And I do think as we move into August and move into September and the weather clears up a little bit, I think we're starting to see now the benefits of uh, teams playing consecutive weeks in a row. Like I, I generally do feel that the skill level is at a higher level uh, a better place than where it was when the season started. And, and we spoke about that. It was going to take some time. So I think the delivery to the tall forwards is starting to uh, take shape. And uh, I think ultimately it's going to be it's, it's going to be a really low total. It might be 40 goals or something like that. But I do think it's going to be one of those three, probably Kennedy, Dixon or Hawkins when it's all said and done. Yeah, I also think it, it will be a big man. But I'll phrase it this way. Like yeah, Daniel Butler sits in fourth at the moment. I think he's got... I don't, know, I don't know why I call him Daniel. Uh, Dan Butler is sit, sitting in fourth at the moment. I don't think he's got any chance of getting there, right? But Tom Papley, who leads with 19 at the moment, he is a small forward because he's a small guy. He doesn't play 100% like a small forward. He is their number one target. So Butler is not the Saints' number one target. You've got King, you've got Membry, you've got Kent, you've got you know, whoever they throw down. There's lots of other options. Papley is the number one target for Sydney. He takes a lot of marks on leads, he gets goals off the ground, but he is the guy they look for. He leads strong. He leads hard. He leads very, very well. And he works more like a Kennedy and a Dixon than a Butler or even a, a Toby Green or, or those sort of guys or, or you know, Wingard who's in that top uh, top range as well. Because he can do, apart from the, the big you know pack mark that you know, put your hands up and take a grab over the small guys, he can't do that. But he is a focal point. He is the number one guy there. And even Charlie Cameron, like he's not that guy because you've got McStay and Hipwood who can provide that role, whereas Papley is doing that for Sydney most of the time. He is the guy leading out hard. He is the guy that they look to target coming through the corridor, and then he can get the ball off the ground. So if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be him. I wouldn't be thinking someone else. And he is more of a, a hybrid in terms of a small man that plays a little bit big. Yeah, I I probably just feel that the degree of difficulty on some of these Papley goals <laughs> is just a little bit higher than Josh Kennedy and, and Charlie Dixon and these guys uh, who can take the pack mark and go back and kick a set shot. I mean, Papley's just been brilliant. I must admit, um, you know, I, I thought that last year he was really good. I mean, he's clearly a good player, but when Carlton was chasing him so hard, I was like, I don't know if this guy's a game changer, but he is. He's proven yeah, to he be is. so for Sydney in, in a team that, that – Let's be honest. I mean, they struggled a little bit, and he's been the shining light uh, down there and kept them in a lot of games, and he kicked a couple of brilliant goals on the weekend, and there was a lot of talk about he should have given the handball off to Elijah when he's running into open goal. 
I say get stuffed. He's a he's a small forward. He's, <laughs> he, he's he's leading the Coleman man. Come on, like he, he, what are you going to get out? What's Sydney going to win this year? They're not winning anything. Papley's out there to win the Coleman, and I'm I'm well and truly into that. But this is a good segue into what we like from the weekend, and I want to talk about Toby Green because this guy has saved the Giants on multiple occasions this year, and that's no I, I'm not I'm not going overboard with that. He has legitimately saved this team, and he is maybe the only reason that they are still a, a chance in this season and hanging around the eight. They're outside the eight at the moment. But if you look at uh, his performances so far this year, we know the Giants have, have struggled to win in, uh, get the ball inside 50, and it was the case again against Richmond. They were uh, outnumbered 46 to 32 in inside 50s. This isn't sustainable. It, it's not. It, it's not going to work if they continue to play this way. But the reason they won the game was because Toby Green and his brilliance. And it's not the first time. Against Geelong in round one, he kicked four goals, had 16 disposals. They picked up the win. Against Collingwood in that game that they just won, we know how brilliant he was in that game. Kicked another three goals, including a couple of just absolute freak goals. And, and then on, on the weekend, we know what he did against Richmond. It's I don't think it's overboard to say if Toby Green wasn't in this team, they maybe don't win. Uh, maybe the Geelong game, they won by five five goals. But certainly the Collingwood and Richmond games, I think they probably lose. And at that point, their season is probably over. I mean, this guy is legitimately keeping the Giants afloat with his pure brilliance. All right, so here's a question for you then on Toby Green. Who is he their best player? Because this is a team with Whitfield, Kelly, Canelio, uh, Nick Haynes, uh, Jeremy Cameron. Like, I probably wouldn't have Cameron as their best player, but is he, is he their best player? Well, at, at the moment, with the, the style of footy they're playing, the way that they're, they're playing, he's their most valuable player, and it's not even close. It's just not close because even on the weekend at his size, uh, he's able to take four contested marks. Yeah. And we just spoke about the uh, the tall forwards and what they can do. Green is good in the air. He's good above his head. He can out-muscle a defender and, and take a contested mark, and he's deadly in front of goals. He's going at 82% accuracy this season. So uh, whether he's... You want to say he's their best? I think probably right now you have to say yes. Interesting look because he has that like look and, and body type of a guy who is you know that forward pressure sort of player. Uh, you know the, that guy that you know wants. He doesn't to, get tackles. Yeah, he's had one tackle inside Ford fifty all season. One, and that yeah. is a, that's because you look at him. Okay, he he's there. He's a small forward. He bobs up. He kicks goals. He puts pressure on. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't do any of the pressure stuff. He goes out there and he kicks goals and he takes grabs and he he's putting up yeah, ridiculous. Some of the some of the like every time I just looked up on that Friday night game, it's just oh okay Toby Green again. He's just everywhere and it happens multiple times. We saw that one against Collingwood as well. He has, I'd say you're probably right, he's their most important player because you lose a Canelio or a Kelly and then the other one of those guys can step up or Taranto or Hopper comes into that role. Maybe Nick Haynes could have an argument for most valuable mm-hmm. as well because I'm not sure who exactly can replace what he does in the entire league, really. Um, but yeah, Toby has been, like he is the key to to what, he, he needs to play for them to, to win and for them to make the finals. Because the two games that he didn't play, they were embarrassed. He didn't play against the Bulldogs, and they were spanked. They couldn't do anything up for They couldn't move the ball. And then he didn't play the, the round before in, in round seven, and uh, yeah, they weren't good in that one either. <laughs> well, it, it is funny that their two most valuable players are Haynes and Green. Green because they can't kick scores without him in the team, and Haynes because uh, they're under attack all, all day long, and he's one of the best intercept marks in the league. So, yeah, I mean, they've got some problems. Their percentage under 100 uh, right now, they're, they're only two points out of the eight. So, I mean, they're still well and truly in the mix. But you talk about big games this week. they got the Gold Coast. Oh, man. Uh, I, I tell you, that that is... And by the way, we're, we're going to get to it uh, as the week goes on. I can't believe the footy is back on tomorrow. But, geez, there is some 
pretty damn good games this weekend. I, I can't wait. And that is, that's one of them, Gold Coast GWS. Yeah, it is. Imagine saying that, yeah, back in 2011, <laughs> I, I can't wait for Gold Coast uh, GWS. But yeah, it is. It, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. But one guy I do want to highlight over the weekend, and we talked about Adelaide and how bad they've been all season. And so if they keep going like this, we probably won't talk about them too much on the show. The last two weeks have been pretty good. But Brody Smith, I think, deserves uh, a mention here. He gained 705 meters this week. He is eight, eight <laughs> score involvements. He had 10 inside 50s. He also had two rebound 50s. He had 24 touches. He had uh, three clearances as well. He was really all over the place. He's had a, a 30 possession game this year as, as well against the Eagles in that game where they started to turn the corner. But those inside 50 numbers you know, combined with rebound 50s and you know, going at, at a pretty high disposal efficiency as well. He had 17 effective disposals. 10 contested, 8 score involvements, over 700 meters gain. Like that is a, it's a really, really good performance as well as 5 intercepts. So he was doing it literally all over the field. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Adelaide, he's one of those guys that does get the ball on the boot. I mean, he's a kicker. He'll, he'll kick at 50 yeah. meters. They love to get the ball in his hands. He's always the guy that's uh, a candidate for that that little handball when someone marks the ball around the 50 meter arc. And yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, he's a point of difference to them. He's such an important player because uh, when you think about guys like the, the Crouch brothers and Sloan that uh, could rack up the possessions, but the meters gained uh, is you know pretty average for the amount of times they have the footy in their hand. Brody Smith is, is so important for them because uh, we've seen uh, by weighted numbers inside 50 and playing attacking footy and giving your forwards a chance, Adelaide over the last two weeks, along with their improved pressure, have uh, have become competitive. And they, they certainly weren't that before they went back to South Australia. And he's always that guy that when those they need him running because when those crouch guys are getting that ball in close, you're especially on the weekend you just saw him running past so much to get that outside kick. And we talked about this earlier in the year with Rory Sloan how his contested uncontested rate had changed and he'd gone more to like I've got to get my own ball and he's not getting on the end of things like he was before. And you know, Smith is doing that now, which is really key because you can't have everyone just going in to get the ball. You got to have the bloke on the outside who's going to get it and make teams pay. And that's exactly what he did. Unfortunately, they didn't pay the ultimate price, Essendon. But I thought it was worth highlighting that when we pile on a team for being bad, that when someone comes out and has a really, really good performance and almost gets them over the line that it's it's worth mentioning. So it's Tuesday. We've got footy tomorrow, and this is where it all begins. This is where footy every single bloody day begins. Uh, Bulldogs and Richmond tomorrow night. That's going to be, uh, again, it's going to be a really interesting game. Both teams really need to win that one, so that's going to be interesting. Of course, Wednesday, we still do do the mailbag, so any questions, any topics that we've missed from the weekend, hit us up at LockedOnAFL on Twitter or Locked on AFL at gmail.com. And let us know your opinion. What should the Cats do with selection this week? What do you want your team to do with selection? How should they approach this? Who's going to win the Coleman? And uh, is Toby Green GWS most valuable player? You can always hit us up on Twitter or via the email. We love that. We do. So send those questions in. Send those tweets in, Kane. That'll do it for another episode of Locked on AFL. Thank you again. Uh, yes, thanks for having me. I'm just looking outside my window here in beautiful Victoria, and it is just sunshine. You wouldn't see that in Western Australia or Queensland. It's not sunshine here, but it is. Uh, it's definitely not. It's it's not raining. I'll, I'll I'll give it that much. It is a little gloomy, but it is not raining. So that's that's the positive we've got, guys. Don't forget subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and leave a review. It is a great way of helping out the show. I'm going to leave you guys today with a shout out to Kepler Bradley. <laughs> 